Coming home. I drove home last weekend with my 31-year-old son, Keaton. Home is 11 hours northeast of Denver in Cedar Rapids, Iowa, an almost direct drive through Nebraska. My parents moved out of my childhood home after 57 years and into an independent living facility due to the necessity for a more accessible living environment. For the last several years, we have attempted to adapt the house to their changing needs, but it became more and more challenging, especially during winters when ice and snow could make the driveway a barrier to get to them quickly. They deserve to be comfortable, help within reach, 24 hours a day. Their move was preceded by months of emptying rooms, closets, and drawers. My siblings and their spouses packed and carried boxes up and down the old stairs, took them to my parents to decide what was to go with them and what was to be given away. They grouped items into piles for each of us eight kids, things they thought we'd want to keep. Everything else was carried next door to a separate two-story empty commercial building that my parents rented out to various businesses for the past 30 years. The latest renter abruptly stopped paying rent eight months ago and left due to COVID. Our parents' life, our life, is currently spread out in this building and displayed for last-minute grabs before everything will be sold or given away to Goodwill. Keaton and I could not have picked a colder day to make the drive back to Iowa and load up the car. We left Denver at 5 a.m. on Saturday morning, and by the time we rolled into Cedar Rapids, it was dinner time and 12 below. I'd been feeling gentle peer pressure for weeks, an invitation to come home and pick up my pile of stuff so that carpet could be ripped out and the house put up for sale or redeveloped for commercial use. We decided before we left that because of COVID, we would camp out in the now empty house in sleeping bags on air mattresses. After all, the house still had heat, hot water for showers, a stove, and refrigerator. It would be a more meaningful way to say goodbye to the house. And by not staying with relatives, no one would worry about spreading COVID. The house was built in the early 1900s, still has its original windows. Without furniture and people, and with the wind chill 20 below, the house felt cold to its bones, despite the furnace running nonstop. Before we arrived, the heat had been turned up by a loving sibling, yet drafts of cold, unwelcoming air swirled around us in every room. We shivered despite layers of clothing and coats on. My items were stacked in a corner of the dining room. The pile didn't add up to a lot, just enough to fill the SUV and block the rear view on the trip back. Items included some framed certificates and photos, a lamp and small wooden dresser that was my grandfather's grandmother's that stood behind the French doors in the dining room for years. Also in my things was a 1948 high school graduation ring from St. Teresa Academy in Decatur, Illinois, that belonged to my uncle. Apparently, the ring had been tucked away in a safe place for 70 years and looked brand new, still in the Boyson's jewelry box. My uncle, James Robert Schulte, who they called Bob, was my father's oldest brother. He was killed in the Korean War a couple days after his 21st birthday, just seven years before I was born. 
Because we share a birthday, he's always held a special place in my heart, and everyone knows it. I heard such sweet, good things about him through the years, and two years ago I was able to meet the Marine who was by his side on the day he was killed. My uncle has been my guardian angel for 62 years, and I've always believed that he deserved to be remembered, that he should have gotten to come home. I heard a saying once that we die twice, first when the last breath leaves our body, and again when our name is said for the last time on earth. I am determined that this handsome young man, who never expected to die, will not die a second time. I put his ring on my finger to bring him home. The carpet in the dining room we stood on was loose from wear like skin on aging knees, my knees. As I looked out into the living room, I imagined Pat and Mike running in through the front door with a basketball, a couple friends tagging close behind. I watched as Brian rushed by me out the same door, late for work again. Katie is strumming a guitar, and Scott is laughing in the sunroom watching Beverly Hillbillies as Molly joins him. Our dad put Glenn Campbell on the stereo, and Wichita lineman began to play as he went to the kitchen to cook Sunday breakfast. Our mother was stretched out on the bed in their bedroom, talking on the phone to her sister Judy, while Brad started practicing his drums in the room directly above me. There was a sudden draft and the house became empty and still again. I shivered, realized that these rooms that were always so full of chatter, friends, celebrations, pranks, shared meals, and pure love for more than half a century would never be there in that way again. I drug a feather light air mattress to my parents' bedroom. Next to their room is the only small bathroom in the house that miraculously ten people shared. I brushed my teeth and saw myself at sixteen, kneeling on the floor over the bathtub to wash my hair, while someone pounded on the door to get in. I opened the now empty vanity drawers and saw them as they were, jammed full of hairbrushes, combs, toothpaste, clippers, and Q-tips. Wet toothbrushes and dippity-doo no longer litters the cramped countertop underneath the shamrock lights that hung happily about the mirror. As I lay on the floor in the dark in my parents' bedroom, I stared at their empty walk-in closet. The door left ajar. I sometimes escaped to that closet, one of the few places to get away from siblings and chaos. Imagined secret hidden doors in the walls behind the clothes. I'd sit among our mother's beautiful shoes, her Giorgio perfume mingled with our father's starched shirts was deeply comforting to a child in hiding. Through the years, our mother accumulated jewelry that she carefully organized on the shelves. Like sisters, she'd lay on the bed with us and we'd rifle through the trays and boxes together, looking for that perfect set of earrings to borrow for whatever special occasion was going on in our lives. On our last morning in the house, Keaton and I went up the narrow stairs to the bedrooms where my brothers and sisters and I slept. A piercing sonar was on to deter bats that occasionally get in, and the same curtains from childhood hung on the 100-year-old windows. The girls' room had the same brown shag carpet on the floor and paneling on the walls from when the attic was transformed into a bedroom in the 1960s. 
We walked across the hall to where my brother slept, looked out the windows toward the front yard. Half a dozen tall pine trees used to block this view, but a terrifying storm tore across Iowa late last summer, pausing over Cedar Rapids for an unbearable 45 minutes, uprooting and taking most of the old trees with it. I felt exposed, standing there at the windows, looking straight down the hill to the street below, which was never possible before. It wasn't supposed to be like this, and it made me sad that there's nothing left to protect the house from the brunt of future violent storms that are sure to come its way. It was no coincidence that our final visit to the house would be during such bitter cold. Not able to keep us warm, the house is unable to adapt to climate change or an aging lifestyle. It seems that it's been tenderly trying to nudge our parents toward the front door for years now. Due to COVID, the house had become confining, isolating, and unsafe for our parents to live and get around. The long curvy driveway meandering up the hill was just as hard to navigate this winter as always and the front porch steps are steep and slippery. Thanks to the late summer storm, the lilacs are gone, and so is the bridal wreath that bloomed every spring under our bedroom windows. The storm dismantled the pergola, piece by piece, that our brother and nephew built, especially for our mother, not so many summers ago. Rhubarb no longer grows along the fence, and the fences have fallen down slowly through the years more noticeable now. The property and the house are tired, worn out, and love and time have taken their toll. In the children's book, The Velveteen Rabbit, there's a passage that reads, generally by the time you are real, most of your hair has been loved off and your eyes drop out and you get loose in the joints and very shabby. But these things don't matter to you at all because once you're real, you can't be ugly, except to people who don't understand. I thank the house for the sweet memories, for listening to our prayers at night, and our laughter and worries during the day. I thanked it for its love and protection. And then, like the little boy in the story, reluctantly, I let it go. During the short 48 hours we were in town, we visited a favorite aunt, my other son and his family, and my parents in their new facility, all with distance and masks on. My parents are adjusting well. Like us all, they had seen few people outside family this past year, and now live in a building full of people their own age, some surprising old acquaintances, and a few folks they've known for a very long time. The hallways and doorways are wide enough to accommodate their wheelchair and walkers, and there are no stairs to get into their newly painted first-floor apartment with a garden view. It was emotional, finally getting to be with the people we love but had been prevented from seeing for so long, and emotional to say goodbye to a house that, no matter what, can never be ugly except to people who don't understand. From my walk-in closet, this is Mary. Stay tuned, and thank you for listening.